Well, good morning, church. My name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome you to Stetson Baptist Church. We're glad that you are here. If you haven't checked in yet, please do so. The instructions are on the screen behind me, and we would love to know that you're here. So you can fill that out. And when you do that, there's a place to put prayer requests and to uh, find out about what the sermon's about, or, or you can just wait till later, too. But there's all sorts of stuff there whenever you check in, so I encourage you to do that each week. In addition to that, we have some important things going on. First, Vacation Bible School is coming soon, and if you have not registered your child, please do so. And if you're able to volunteer, we can absolutely use more volunteers. The information on how to sign up for Vacation Bible School and how to sign up to be a volunteer is back there as well. We can use all the help we can do we can get as we get ready for our, really our biggest outreach event to families every year. So if you can help with that, that would be amazing. Also, have something very important that's happening next week during this hour. We have a new ladies' Bible study starting. So if you're a lady and you're looking for a place to plug into a small group, 945 in room 209, being led by Pam Dean and Kimberly Taylor. Love for you to check that out and be a part of that ladies' Bible study. Finally, graduation is coming. And if you have a senior who is graduating, please send a photo or a baby photo to, a photo and a baby photo to Andrew, our student pastor, so he can, they can be a part of that Graduate Recognition Sunday on May 21st. All that to say, we are glad that you're here this morning, and um, we're going to start this morning off in prayer, and if you will, would you bow your head with me, and let's pray together and ask God to bless this time. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning thanking you for being an all-sufficient Savior that we can put our trust in, that we can love on, that we can learn from. And God, this morning, as we sing, as we worship, as we do our best to open ourselves up to the way you're leading us, God, I pray that you be glorified. God, I pray that you find those areas in our life that we're holding back and allow them to allow us to submit those to you. And God, let this be a time of refreshment as we focus on who you are. God, I thank you for the people in this room and rooms all across the world as we worship you this morning. And we pray this prayer in your name. Amen. All right, come on, church. Go ahead and stand up. Let's worship the Lord. He has never failed us. He has not forsaken you this morning. We're going to sing with gladness and with joy in our hearts. Come on. And I'm believing 
The best is yet to come The cross before me My hope on beams above That's right And in you, Jesus The best is yet to come Your presence Your presence Is an open door We want you
that song is such a powerful song as we think about all the things that God has done in our life. And there's probably nothing that is greater that God has done than the fact that he sent Jesus, his one and only son, to die on the cross for our sins, to, to redeem us, to make us whole, to make us righteous, to make us clean, to make us forgiven. The fact that Jesus would do that for us, that God would love us that much, he's good and I've witnessed it. I've seen it. I've seen him and his work in my life, and I've seen his work in so many of your lives. And so as we come to this moment in this service, what what this moment is about is it's a, this is a I've witnessed it moment. 
I've seen God move in my life and I've seen God move in others' lives and, and this is a remembrance of that. As we take the bread and the cup that represents the body and the blood of Christ, it's a reminder of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so in just a moment, as these elements are passed, in this, passed to you in this room, I, I want you to take just a moment to go to the Lord and just say thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for eternal life. Thank you for faith. Thank you for grace. Thank you for the life that you've given to me. Just give him thanks. To be able to express our gratitude to God is a powerful thing. So as you receive the bread and the cup, just give God gratitude and thanks for all that he's done in your life. A couple of quick housekeeping things. First of all, uh, as, you, uh, as, you, as these plates are passed, there are in each one of the little slot, there are two cups. One has the bread and one has the juice. And so just make sure you grab both of those. And then the second thing is we, we don't require that you be a member of our church to partake in the Lord's Supper. We just simply ask that you be a believer in Jesus. If you've given your life to Jesus, you are welcome. If you haven't given your life to Jesus, let me just go ahead and give you a, a, a preview. You will have a chance to do that today. We always want to give you an opportunity. And so if you've never given your life to Jesus, let this be something that maybe motivates that even more as the people around you are reminded of God's grace in their life. Let that be a motivation to experience God's grace in your life. So if our servers would go ahead and come forward, I'm going to have a word of prayer and we're going to share this meal together. And I'm just so grateful that we have the privilege of doing that. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for all that you do in our lives. Thank you, God, for the witness that we are to the grace of God and to the love of God and to the way that he works in our life. God, we are so grateful for you. We're so grateful that you have given us so much. And Father, as we remember the sacrifice of Jesus, let it be a reminder to us of the life that you design and you desire for us. And let us live that out in our lives every day. Father, we're grateful. We are so grateful for Jesus and for the sacrifice that he made on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray.
reminder of how Jesus has loved us, that his wounds have paid the price for our souls, and we have the privilege of being able to remember that even right here, right now. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks for it and he gave it to his disciples. It was the bread that represented the body of Christ, the body that was beaten and bruised and battered. The body that was forced to carry the cross to the place of execution, that was nailed to that cross, it was that body that would breathe its last breath and be placed in a tomb, dead. It was also the body on the third day that would rise again, that the disciples would see, that Mary would see. It was that body that would show up on the beach and cook some fish and have breakfast with his disciples. It's a picture of eternal life. It's a picture of, of the fact that Jesus defeated death and hell and the grave. And, and he grants to us the privilege of being able to have eternal life in our lives. The body of Christ. He broke it. He gave thanks for it. He gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. 
as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and he blessed it and gave it to his disciples. The cup represented the blood of Christ. It represents the blood of Christ. It was the blood that was shed on the cross. When he gave the the cup to his disciples, he said, this is my blood of the new covenant. Well, the question you should be asking is, if there's a new covenant, what's the old covenant? It's a covenant. It's an agreement between God and man that sin was paid for by death. Sin was paid for by death. Even the very first sin that was ever committed, Adam and Eve eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden. In that moment, we see a picture of sin entering the world. And there is a sacrifice that is made because God makes clothes out of animal skins to clothe Adam and Eve. It's a picture of death. That the shedding of blood is the payment for sins. This went on for a long time, for centuries even. And every time that they would come to a certain year, certain day in the year, the high priest would go in and he would make atonement, a payment, a blood sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins of the nation every single year. And the people would be forgiven by the shedding of blood when Jesus, the perfect, spotless Lamb of God, gave his life on the cross and shed his blood. It was no longer an annual sacrifice. It was a once-for-all-time sacrifice. And so we have the privilege today of receiving the the blood of Christ, the representation of the blood of Christ that that represents the forgiveness that we have of sins because of the new covenant. He gave the cup to his disciples. He said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful. That seems like such a small word, but we're grateful. Thank you for sending Jesus, your only begotten son, so that we could have forgiveness of our sins and eternal life with you. God, we are grateful. So thank you for this reminder today of all that you have done. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. What a wonderful day, and I'm so glad that we have the privilege of, uh, of, of being here and being a part of what God's doing as we gather together. I want to in, in, invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 32. We are uh, continuing this series as we are talking about uh, the fact that we're, we're all a little dysfunctional. 
But before I get to that, I just want to share with you real quickly, um, we have been announcing this for a while, but um, next year we're planning on taking a trip to Israel. And, uh, and so I'll be hosting that trip. I would love for you to join us if you have the opportunity. Um, I, we have an early bird deadline that is finishing this week. And so if you would like to, uh, to be a part of that, or if you just have questions about it, um, I'm happy to answer those. You can catch me after the service, or you can use this. You can text the word Israel to that 386-734-1991 number. It will send you back some information. Would love to make sure that you're aware. But that early bird deadline is passing on March, the, um, I'm sorry, on May the 12th. And so it's coming up this week, um, and uh, you save $100 by, uh, by paying your deposit by, by that time. So anyway, just want to be sure that you're aware of that. We've been talking about being dysfunctional, and we've talked, talked about this as our definition of dysfunctional, that dysfunctional is not acting like it should, troubled, problematic, disharmonious, struggling. Um, some of you may be saying, why is he defining that every week? Well, the word dysfunctional can sometimes be a trigger word for people, and they think, I'm not dysfunctional. And, and the reality is, you're probably not. But when we, when we define it like that, and when we recognize that there are just being dysfunctional and acting sometimes a little dysfunctional are two different things, right? We all have a tendency to be problematic, and we struggle some. And so there are areas of our life where things are, are really good, and then there are probably some areas of our life where well, I could probably use some work. Um, and so the, the idea of this dysfunctional series is to look at the Bible and to say, there was some dysfunction that happened. And I'm going to tell you one of those stories today. Um, there's some dysfunction that happened in their lives, and they're in the Bible. So why should we think that we're going to be any different? And how are we going to actually live out our life in faith, recognizing that, that we, have, we have some areas of our life that we're not real proud of? So let me just kind of give you a little bit of a, of a summary. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 32 today, but I want to catch you up from where we were last week. Um, if you were here last week, then you've got this. But if you weren't, uh, basically what we looked at was Isaac found himself in a place where his dad had been, uh, Abraham, and uh, Isaac committed the exact same sin that Abraham had committed. He tried to pass his wife off as his sister, which is crazy, but... It's dysfunctional, so that's it just kind of makes sense. And so, um, so Isaac does the same things his dad does. We talked about the fact that in our lives, sometimes we can actually repeat the sins of our fathers, our parents, our grandparents, and so a lot of times we actually see some of this generational stuff happen in our lives because it, it it's it's real. I mean, it's it's real. It's right there in Scripture, and it's right there in our lives. I didn't have to show you. I didn't have to show you that in the Bible for you to know it's true because you see it in your own own lives and sometimes you see it in your kids lives and you're watching your kids grow up and you're watching them become more and more like you and you're like I sure hope they inherit the good parts right I mean that's just part of life that's just kind of how how we are I really wish that my kids would just pick up all the good traits and not any of the other traits Let's say it that way. Um, so basically, we see that, and then we kind of start to fast forward. Isaac is the son of Abraham and Sarah. They had him uh, at 100 years old. I'll say that again, 100 years old. He then has two sons, Jacob and Esau. Esau is the oldest. Jacob is the youngest. When Isaac was very old, Jacob, his younger son, tricks Isaac into blessing him as the firstborn. That's a big deal in biblical times. Because the firstborn got the inheritance, the firstborn got the land, the firstborn got the livestock, the firstborn got the blessing of the father, and this was a huge deal. All of that belonged rightfully to Esau, the firstborn. 
But Jacob tricks Isaac into giving him the blessing that belonged to his older brother. Well, might not surprise you, but this didn't make Esau very happy. He doesn't get anything. Everything was stolen from him. It makes him so unhappy that he literally, we see this in scripture, he actually says, it's okay. When dad dies, I'll kill you and then I'll get my birthright back. It'll work out fine. I'm not worried. To which Jacob hears that. He's a little fearful. No surprise. And so he runs off to their cousins, to, uh, to his wife's, um, to, I'm sorry, to his wife's brother's house, his uncle. The guy's name is Laban. When he meets Laban and gets kind of in, integrated into his household, he meets Laban's daughter, Rachel. And the Bible says that she was very beautiful. And he wants to marry her. And he gets to. Technically, it's his cousin, but we're not going to go there, right? Told you, dysfunctional, right? Descriptive, not necessarily prescriptive. So he promises his uncle, he says, listen, I will work for you for seven years if you will just give me Rachel as my wife. Laban says, sounds great to me. You're going to work for seven years. He works for seven years, and then the wedding night comes. But Laban, being a trickster himself, Laban decides, you know what? I have two daughters. Rachel's the younger. Leah is the older. I'm going to make sure that Jacob marries Leah, the older daughter, because that's how it should be. I should trick him into marrying the wrong person. I don't know what was going on with Jacob, but somehow he believes it and everything goes right, except the next morning he wakes up and he says, that is not who I thought I was marrying. Because it says, literally, the scripture says that Leah was weak around the eyes. I'm not exactly sure what that means, but most scholars say that she wasn't as beautiful as Rachel. Let's just go there, okay? So, Jacob is a little upset. He goes back to Laban. He says, what in the world have you done? Why have you done this to me? This is a terrible situation. I am married to the wrong sister. She's my cousin too. I don't know what's about to happen. And so, uh, so Laban says, listen, I'll let you marry Rachel, but you have to work for me for another seven years. To which Jacob says, that's fine. I'll work for you for another seven years. He is allowed to marry Rachel. Some of you are asking right now, why in the world are people in the Bible married to two people? I told you this is descriptive, not prescriptive. Men do not try this at home. Right? So, and, and actually, I'll, I'll, I'm not going to, there's a whole sermon there, a whole lot of teaching there, but I'll just say this. There was never God's perfect plan, and what we find as we continue to go through the Bible is it causes all kinds of problems. And so, it was never the intent. God definitely uh, desires for one man, woman, one woman to be married for life. That's, uh, that's his, his perfect plan. Jacob works for 14 years. He has two wives. He has two concubines. Oh, by the way, I didn't tell you, both wives came with servants, and he treats them like a wife too. They're not really his wives, but they kind of are. Remember, it's descriptive, not prescriptive. He has 11 kids distributed among the four quote-unquote wives. And then he decides to head home, which means he's going to have to go meet Esau again. Why didn't we just make this a dysfunctional story, right? I mean, this is crazy stuff. What we see, though, in Genesis chapter 32 and 33 is probably one of the least dysfunctional stories of the dysfunctional series because what we see here is we see a reconciliation between two brothers that have been long lost. And they, there's been a lot of anger and a lot of enmity. 
between them. There's been a lot that's been said. There's been a lot that's been done. People have not been treated properly. People have not been treated with respect. They divided, and anybody, any one of us that would have been in the same situation, we would have divided too. If somebody stole our inheritance, we'd be like, I don't like you anymore. And if I ever see you, I might try to take that inheritance back, and we know how that works. It's not a good situation, but what we find is that Jacob and Esau now are going to come back together. There's going to be a picture of forgiveness. There's going to be a picture of reconciliation. There's a lot to be said here. Let's jump in. Genesis chapter 32, verse 1. It says, Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, that's an interesting terminology, thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and, and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. There's a couple of things just in this introductory passage. It, it shows that Jacob is on his way to meet Esau, but he actually meets God instead. At one of the camps, he says, this is God's camp. I, I, I'm here with the angels of God. There's something that's happening in this place. There's something that I'm, I'm experiencing. So, so he's going to meet Esau, but in, on the way, he meets God. And we're going to see later that he actually meets God. That's pretty cool. So, um, but, and, and, and he begins to think about, how am I going to handle this? And so he sends these messengers before him to Esau. And he, he says, say to, I love this, say to my Lord Esau. Now that, in the scripture, that's written in small letters. So it's not him being sacrilegious or being blasphemous. He is saying, Esau, you are more important. And we're going to find later that he's going to talk about himself as the servant. He is saying that I am your servant and you are my Lord, little L, but it means that you are above me and I am below you. He is putting himself in a position of humility. He's going before Esau and he's saying, I want to, to come to you. And so he begins to talk to Esau through these messengers. He says, listen, I've got all of this stuff. I've been with Laban for 14 years. We haven't seen each other. We haven't been with each other. But, 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 but I, I, I've got all these things and, and I've sent them. And I want you to know, I, would just, I just want to find favor in your sight. In the words of today, we would say that, that Jacob is kind of buttering up Esau. Right? He's kind, of, he's kind of greasing the skids a little bit, making sure that everything's going to work out well. Let's look at what it continue in verse 6. It says, And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. This is not good news. Basically, oh yeah, Esau's coming this direction as well, and he's got an army with him. I don't know how well this is going to go. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. We would be too. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. He says, listen, y'all just separated into two groups. Maybe one of you will survive. we got a 50-50 chance. I'm going to make sure that y'all aren't close to each other because half might survive and half might, well, might not. And Jacob said, begins to speak to God. He says, oh, God of my father, Abraham, and God of my father, Isaac, oh, Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only 
my staff, I crossed this Jordan, and now I've become two camps. You have blessed me so much. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with, my ch- with the children. But you, but you said, God, you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Here, he, uh, Jacob begins to pray. He begins to pour out his heart to God. He says, Lord, protect me. You've been so good to me. Don't leave me now. Don't give up on me. I'm trying. I'm trying to do the right thing. Verse 19. I'm sorry, verse 13. It says, I couldn't read that. Verse 13, it says, so he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. I did not do the math on this livestock collection, but it's a lot. That's, I mean, that's expensive in today's dollars and biblical dollars, shekels or whatever it is. Anyway, verse 16, these he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove and drove and drove and drove. And he instructed the first, when Esau, my brother meets you and asks you to whom do you belong, where are you going and whose are these ahead of you, then you shall say, they belong to your servant. There's that word. They belong to your servant, Jacob. They are a present sent to my Lord Esau. And moreover, he's behind us. He likewise instructed the second, the third, and all who follow the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob, he's behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me. And afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. Again, he's he's preparing. He's thinking about this is not going to be a gentle meeting. This is not going to be comfortable. This is not going to be easy. And so I need to make sure that everything is okay. I just want to... I want to to kind of create for myself. I want to create for myself a, a soft landing. I want to I want to make sure that that Esau knows that that while yeah I, I stole his birthright, I stole his inheritance. I want to gift him back the things that God has blessed me with. I want to give those things so that so that he understands that it's not about that. I really just want to I, I want the relationship to be restored. Then we have a curious setting in verse 22. It says, the same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children and crossed the ford, crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. He sends his family, and he comes, he comes back to the other side of the river, and he's all alone. And it says, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is broken. The man said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. By the way, Jacob means trickster. Jacob means I'm always working on something. I'm always working an angle. And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there 
he blessed them. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. This picture of, uh, of, of Jacob coming before this man, it's, 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 a, it's kind of a curious, what in the world is going on? Where'd, the, where'd this man come from? What's going on? Well, most because we see a picture of, of Jacob saying, I have seen the face of God and lived, I, I, and, 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 I've, and, and, and the, this man actually changes Jacob's name from, from Jacob, which means trickster, to, to Israel, which means that you have striven with God and you are striving with God, meaning you're kind of the army of God. You're the people of God. You, you have changed from being a trickster and a jokester and a shyster to someone that you are now the people of God. Jacob, his name, is changed, his name was changed to Israel. He literally becomes the father of the nation of Israel, even the nation of Israel that we see today. It all came from Jacob. This is a powerful thing. And it says that, that he, 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 he wrestled with this man. I, I, I don't know exactly what that looked like. I remember when I was a kid and it said that he wrestled with God. I thought he wrestled with God. You, you know the difference between wrestling and wrestling, right? Wrestling is like the Olympic sport. Wrestling is staged. I almost said fate, but let's go with staged, all right? It's, it's, like, a, it's like a male testosterone Soap opera. Um, but anyway, so uh, don't watch wrestling, wrestling, wrestling. I don't watch that anymore. But anyway, I did when I was a kid. Uh, Hulkamania. Um, so anyway, all of this, uh, all of this kind of happens and, and Jacob is wrestling. I mean, he's probably not wrestling. He's wrestling with God, even though he might have been wrestling because I think it was arranged for him to, for him to stay in it, right? And, and the Bible says that for whatever happened, and I, this is a weird, this is kind of a weird story. There's probably a whole uh, message here, but can we just say what we, in, in the context of what we're talking about today, what we can say is before he met Esau, he met God. Before he saw Esau, he saw God. As a matter of fact, most scholars agree that this is probably another one of those pre-incarnate, pre-Bethlehem physical manifestations of God, which we have a name for him. His name is Jesus. It's very possible that, that right here, Jesus and, 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 and Jacob, Israel, are, are, are in a contention. And it's a purpose for, for Jacob's heart to be changed. And it is. There's a whole lot to be said about that, but I, I want to move on. Chapter, 30, chapter 33 gives us how the story kind of becomes. It says, And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming. And 400 men with him. <laughs> so he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and then Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Here, after he's met with God, he, he takes his wives and his children. He realizes this, I mean, he's, he's tried, he's, he's sent gifts ahead, he's done all of the work. And yet, he looks at the situation and he realizes this, this could go poorly. This could be bad. So I'm going to separate my kids. I think it's interesting that he puts the servants in front 
And then he puts Leah and her kids. And then he puts Rachel, like his beloved one. He puts her last. I really want to protect you. If it goes bad, run, run. And then he gets out in front and, and he begins to approach Esau. But he doesn't just walk up to Esau. He actually approaches Esau with purpose. It says he, that he bows seven times. Not once, not twice, but seven times. Remember that his hip has been injured. I'll tell you, you know, from time to time, I'll have a a body injury or or just some some muscle soreness. Can I just tell you, when you have an injury or when you have soreness, bowing is not the position you want to be in, right? I mean, can you imagine just, I mean, can you just kind of uh, picture this image of, 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 of Jacob kind of, kind of limping along, and yet even in his physical condition, he chooses to humble himself before Esau and to, and to bow, not once, not twice, but seven times. He, he probably, at each moment when he bows, he's probably thinking, is he going to hit me now? Is he going to attack me now? Is this going to be the end of my life? I might as well just, I might as well be Humble because he's got 400 guys and I've got my wife and kids. Wives and kids. Anyway, what's going to happen here? How is this going to work out? This is a tough situation. I don't know, I don't know what, I don't know what he's going to do. I just, I probably should just take a position of humility. Look what happens. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him. And fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, who are these with you? Jacob said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. And Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last Joseph and Rachel drew near and they bowed down. Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? Why would you send so much livestock? Jacob answered, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough. My brother, keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, no, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand, for for I've seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God. And he would know because he saw him last night. And you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me. Because I have enough. Thus he urged him and he took it. This is such a great story. I told you, it's probably the least dysfunctional of all the dysfunctional series. What we have here is we have a picture of two people that have, there's been a great relationship injury. There has been a schism that has been placed in between them, a cavern, a canyon that has been placed in between them. And yet, Through the leadership of God, they are willing to be brought back together. This is the point where we start to apply this. And I'm just going to tell you, this this might be a little painful, but this is very real. Because you see, in, in our lives, as Jacob's, we have a lot of Esau's. I know that because, because it's true in my life. 
There are people in our life that, for whatever reason, we've just kind of let them go their way and we go ours. You go do your thing, I'll go do mine. It would just be easier if we just didn't see each other anymore. Let's just not talk. Maybe that wasn't said, but that's been the result. Probably if we were to do a recounting of our life, we might find that in our life there's probably 10, 15, 20, 100, 200. (laughs) It sounds really bad, doesn't it? But it's true. Where we've just kind of gone our way and said, I just don't want anything to do with you ever again. Maybe something was said. Maybe something was done. Maybe if we really look back on the situation and what happened between us and somebody else, it really seems very small now. But then it seems huge. Or maybe, actually, over time, maybe it used to be really small and now it's gotten really big. But regardless of what it was, the result is that they're over there and I'm over here. And, and our relationships are broken. Today, I want you to just think about one of those. I want you to just, as, as I go through these statements about the, this story, things that we can learn, I just want you to think about one of those relationships, just one. Let me just share with you some things that we see in this story between Jacob and Esau about reconciliation about bringing relationships back together. And as you think about that relationship, maybe you can apply these in some way. How do we do it? How do we go from we're friends or we're family to I never want to see you again to, hey, let's try to fix this. Let's, let's, let's be friends again. Let's be family again. Let's not be so divided. How do we do that? I'll give you just... A few things that we see from the scripture. Number one, we see that Jacob looked at his blessings. We see our blessings. We see the things that God has given to us. We have an opportunity to really focus on on what has God done in our life. Sometimes we, sometimes we can get really angry, but one of the things that is going to kind of help us to move past it is for us to focus on the things that God has done for us, maybe in the meantime. We need to see our blessings. I'll just ask you, what has God given to you? This has nothing to do with the other person. It has everything to do with you. It has everything to do with your relationship with God. What has God given to you? Well, he's given you forgiveness. He's given to you eternal life. He's given to you grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. He's given to you goodness. He has given to you family. He's given to you belongings. Sometimes we get so focused on what we've lost that it leads to more loss. So one of the ways that we can actually draw ourselves back into relationship is to focus on how good God has been to us. How good has he been to us? We see that in in Jacob's life as as he begins to kind of look at all of his belongings, his livestock, and the, the things that have developed over these 14 years of being away from his brother. See your blessings. Number two, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. I love Jacob's prayer over in chapter 32, and I love the fact that he meets with God and wrestles with God. It's, might it be 
that Esau accepted Jacob not because Jacob sent the gifts ahead? Might it be that Esau accepted Jacob because he had met God? Might it be that the relationship was restored because Jacob had taken a position of humility because he realized through meeting God and through being with God, he realized, I, I am nothing. Sometimes the way that we need to approach the relationships in our life is we've got we've to we've let God do some work in us. Again, this is not about the other person. It's about us. Where, what is God telling you to do in your heart, in your life? God changed Jacob's name from trickster to the people of God. Might God need to change your name, your attitude, your spirit? Seek the Lord. Brings me to the third point that we can see. You need to search your heart. Search your heart. Again, we see this in, in, in Jacob. Probably the place that we see it most is when he calls Esau, my Lord Esau. And he calls himself, your servant Jacob. My Lord Esau, your servant Jacob. He has searched his heart and he has realized that A position of humility is the proper position. What is there in your life and in your heart that might be keeping you from being reconciled? You might have noticed none of those have anything to do with somebody else. It all starts here. It all starts in our heart. It all starts in our life. It all starts in our spirit. See your blessings. Seek the Lord. Search your heart. And then last, we see this. Extend your hand. Hey, can we talk? Hey, I miss you. Man, I wish I wish we wouldn't have lost these last 14 years. Extend your hand. My my experience has been that many times when there are broken relationships, both parties have a tendency to want that relationship to be restored, but nobody will make the first move. Can I give you words to say? My pastor told me I had to make the first move. (laughs) Start there. Just blame it on me. Now listen, I I am not, every relationship doesn't need to be restored. I'm not trying to go there. Please here, be healthy. Follow the Lord's leadership. Every relationship doesn't need to be restored. But can we be honest? A lot of the ones that have been broken probably do. A lot of them. So extend your hand. You might find that when you meet your Esau, you might be embraced and hugged. Kissed on the neck might be a little strong, but you get the idea. And let me just 
remind you that probably the greatest division that was ever created in a relationship was between us and God. And he sent himself in the form of his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins so that we might be made new and righteous and whole. If God can reconcile us to himself by the blood of Jesus, then we can do that same work in our life. He loves you. And he wants us to walk a life of wholeness, of healthiness. He wants us to be in his presence. So would you just take a minute think about what God has said to you during our time together and let's respond to him in faith let's pray together Father thank you for loving us thank you for taking care of us thank you for leading us God we're grateful for these moments that we've had together we're grateful for your word and the way you teach us let us see your hand at work in our lives As you continue to pray, I just want to give you an opportunity to respond. I want to ask you two quick questions. The first question is a direct application of today's message. If you're thinking about one of those relationships, maybe maybe a friend, maybe a family member, maybe a co-worker or a neighbor, I would just like to pray for you. Real simply, I'd just like to pray for you. If you're struggling with one of those relationships that you know needs to be put back together, but you just don't know how, maybe the things we've said, maybe it's not a solution, maybe it's just brought it up again. But if you're here today and you you say, yeah, there's, there's somebody I'm thinking about. I need, I need to be, that relationship needs to be restored and reconciled. If that's you, just won't call you out, not going to come to you. You don't have to tell me about the circumstances, but just, yeah, that's me. Would you just raise your hand? I just want to pray for you. Anybody? Yeah. I've got somebody that I'm, just a relationship that's broken and I want to be better. Just raise your hand. I just want to pray for you. so real yes anyone else I just want to pray for you you know like I said just a moment ago this is that second question like I said just a moment ago the greatest reconciliation that's ever been done is that God sent Jesus to die on the cross for us if today you want to give your life to Jesus I'd love to lead you in a simple prayer to ask Jesus to come into your life and be your savior If today you want to give your life to Jesus and invite him to be your savior, again, would you just raise your hand? I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to point you out. I just want to pray with you. Anyone. I want to give my life to Jesus today. Right here. Right now. Father, thank you. Thank you for the way you work in our lives. Thank you for the privilege of walking in your grace and in your purpose. Let us see your hand at work. 
Father, for people who raise their hands saying there's a relationship that needs to be restored, God, I just pray that you would work in the midst of those circumstances. And some of the things that we've said here today might be a catalyst, a starting point to seeing those relationships restored in your name, for your glory, by the blood of Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.